Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. A few weeks ago, I got a chance to go on a little bit of a road trip, a quick winter getaway for our family, Uh, hit Delaware, then uh, Nags Head, North Carolina, got to spend a couple days outside of Myrtle Beach hanging out with my friend, uh, hanging out with my, um, my kiddos. Now, it was different, but good, and here's why. We, uh, on Monday, woke up and our youngest had the flu. And when you're traveling and kids get sick, you got to start thinking strategically, what are we going to do? And so my wife said, you know what, you, you just spend time with, with Rose and Clover and I'll take care of Lily. So I got some quality daddy-daughter time, which I'll cherish for a long, long time. At the same time, it was weird because my wife wasn't there and she was with our youngest. And our thought process was, by the end of the week, maybe she'll be well again and the end of our trip uh, will be salvaged. Well, Thursday morning, mom makes some top ramen soup for our youngest, uh, piping hot. She grabs the bowl and burns her wrist pretty badly. And so we're like, okay, then I have to just throw in the towel. Let's start heading back to New York. Now, a couple days back into the office week, get a call from my wife. She says, I need you to come home because Lily fell going up the stairs and busted her lip open. So now I'm driving home and I get in the house. It's like a crime scene. You just follow the blood spots, follow the trail. Okay, yep, this is where it took place. And my wife's, you know, obviously a little upset. Where are we going to take her in? And she's concerned because of the burn on the wrist and now the busted lip. And she's thinking, when we take her in, what are they going to think? I mean, we're already from Cicero and we homeschool. People already think we're a little weird. And now we've got all these other things going on. So she settles down. We're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to get through this. Okay. Uh, end of that week. On Friday, I get a call. I'm, I'm here on stage practicing a series, uh, going through, uh, talking about persevering through hard things. And my wife calls and says, hey, our basement's flooding. Go home, deal with that. Okay, get through that. Saturday night, wake up, midnight, flu symptoms. Time to call Wendell. Wendell comes up, preaches. Great job. Thank you for um, stepping in and setting that. Week. I mean, it, was, it was helpful for you to set everything up and keep things going. So, so thank you. Um, now uh, I'm thinking, okay, this is the end of it, right? And this week we got a call and my grandmother's not doing well. Um, she has been sick for some time now. So this week we're going to go and have to say goodbye. So sometimes life just feels like a grind. And this one thing happens after the next. And that's, you know, probably fails in comparison to maybe some of the things that you're personally going through or that you know people are going through when you get that diagnosis or, or the, the divorce papers are there to sign and you're not sure what's going to happen next. And then you take what's going on in the world and you begin to think, really? Uh, this idea of doing good? And you think, I, just, I think I'm done. I just want to tap out. You see, my observation is that our circumstances seldom lead us to press on. In fact, the, the opposite uh, is true. I think more times than not, our circumstances lead us to this place where we're just tempted to press off. I came across this article this week, and it said, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, more Americans left their job in April of 2021. Uh, the record was then broken in July 
August, September, and so on and so on. It's being called the Great Resignation. But sadly, there are some people that are not just resigning from their jobs, they're taking an end to their life. Came across this stat, and it's, it's heartbreaking, uh, that roughly one doctor takes their life every single day. It's double the rate of any general population. 38% of pastors in the United States have thought about quitting ministry on this past year, and then if you take the millennial age group, that jump, uh, that percentage jumps to 50% plus. And so what's interesting to me is that in this season where so many people are quick, quick to press off, what's in my inbox are articles like, hey, here's five things you need to do to be a better boss. Uh, here's five things you need to do to be a better pastor. Hey, if your church is not doing these five things, then I don't know if you're going to make it post-pandemic. So I'm not short on exhortation, but I just don't have the same level of encouragement coming my way or inspiration or here's why you should continue to press on in this season when you're so tempted to press off. And so years ago, the Apostle Paul was having a conversation with this, uh, with this church that was in crisis. They were in desperation mode, and there was some conflict that was taking place. And so Paul sat down, and he decided to provide some encouragement and some inspiration to say, press on. He said this, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, notice the promise, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So quick disclaimer, I understand that there might be some here today that you find yourself in an abusive relationship. Or there might be people at home online and you've experienced toxic environments or toxic circumstances and the wisdom in this season might be it's time to quit. It might be that you need to get out, and I understand that. And I would encourage you to get counseling and wisdom and all the things you need to get healthy again. But this series is designed directly at those that are maybe quick to give up when maybe God has something for us and is doing something in through us in this season. And so here's some context. The Apostle Paul uh, writes to this church, and the theological crisis that they were dealing with is that these Jews had come into this group, and they were preaching something different than the Apostle Paul. And what they were saying is that they needed to keep, uh, they insisted on keeping the Mosaic Law. Now, I understand this tension because in and of itself, there's some, some great truth within the Mosaic Law. And, and we shouldn't just throw out the Old Testament. Because within the Mosaic Law, and when we talk about the law, uh, what we're, we're describing really is God's recipe for thriving with God and thriving with other people or his playbook. And, and here's how we live life through the lens of, of Christianity and the truth of the scriptures. But specifically, the Mosaic Law teaches us about God's holiness. It teaches us about the character of God and who he is. It also defines sin and the standard that God has for our lives. It also teaches us about the effect of sin and our, the necessity to be separated from sin. It talks about the, the efficacy of substitutionary um, sacrifice and that something needs to be right with God. We need, something needs to happen for us to be right with God once again. 
And so in the Old Testament, we read about these sacrifices that would take place, but the truth is there was never enough, that there had to be someone or something else. And so then the Mosaic Law teaches us about the value of an intercessor, someone that would come in and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so when we think about the Old Testament and we study the Old Testament, we shouldn't throw it out because the Old Testament complements our understanding of the New Testament. Jesus said it this way, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. But what was happening in these churches within Galatia was that they were saying, well, there's this prerequisite that you have to convert to Judaism first, and then we can talk about what the Apostle Paul is describing with Jesus. And so Paul gets word of this, and he's hot. He's heated. And we know that Paul's upset because the way that he starts his letter is unique. Instead of with his normal greeting, and if you look through the New Testament, you see that Paul has a pattern in terms of how he starts his writings. Well, this one was different. You know, the whole prayer for the saints aspect. No, he just jumps right in. And in chapter 5, we get an idea of the, the context of the conflict, because he says this. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? See, Paul was a sports guy. And he knew that he was writing to an audience that would have understood some of the athletic contests uh, contest that happened during that time using the illustration of a foot race. And this isn't one that Paul just uses one time. He uses it a couple different times throughout his writings. But whenever he uses this metaphor, it's always in the context of sanctification, never in the context of salvation. It's not run this race to be right with God. It's in light of the fact that you are now right with God. Here's how we should run the race. And so Paul had preached this message. And when he was there the first time, they received him so well, he was described like an angel of God. Everybody received the gospel. They were sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Those outside looking in said, clearly something has changed. There's this deep joy, and it's evident that they are walking with Jesus. And so now Paul's saying, what gives? What changed? What happens here? What happened there? And so the illustration is this, that competitors would be told to stay in their lane, but what would, um, what would happen is other people running the race would jump in to try to throw that person outside of their lane. They would cut in on them. So when Paul left, the message was, here's the lane. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That we're made by what Christ did on the cross. We're made right with him through his work and his work alone, not our own doing. But the messaging now was Jesus plus works equals salvation. So Paul's saying, what, what took place? You've taken this spiritual detour. And so if sports is not your thing, Paul says, let's talk about baking. He says, the kind of, uh, or the, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little east works through the whole batch of dough. I'm going to invite Wendell up on stage here for a minute. He's our care minister. He serves on staff. If you don't know, Wendell is very talented. 
Uh, not only is he, does a fantastic job caring for our church and helping others be equipped to care for others in our church, he, he plays the piano, he plays guitar, you're very creative, and a few weeks ago you were kind enough to provide some chicken noodle soup and some homemade baked bread to our family um, at home, and we were grateful, and it was delicious. So uh, in light of that, would you just tell us a little, or actually, why don't you show us some of this goodness here? Homemade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Oh, that's why you do it. So tell us a little bit about your process. Well, you go to Panera. Oh, wait. I go to Panera. Hello? Testing. There we go. You go to Panera and you buy it. No, actually. Uh, Panera? Yeah, okay. Panera. No, this is, I, I like to make breads and bagels because it allows me to kind of release. I have a stressful job and a boss that's kind of tough. <laughs> Um, so I go home and I take these dry ingredients and I mix them together and out comes something beautiful like this. And then usually people go, wow, that was delicious. And then one more time I'll say, what was that? And they'll tell me how delicious it was. So there's a little selfish part of it, but I also so it's about love you. It's yeah, about you. It's about me, but yeah. I do love the results. So what's, what's, this, what's the process? What's the significance of the yeast the that yeast. Paul's talking about? Well, yeast, it's an amazing little critter. It's a microorganism related to the mushroom, believe it or not. I hate mushrooms. Um, and what happens is dormant, and when the yeast gets uh, rehydrated with water, it starts to consume any sugar that would be found in the flour or if you add sugar to uh, the mix. And uh, out of that, as soon as it consumes the sugar, it produces a couple things, one of which is carbon dioxide. Mm. And in the bread, uh, gluten is a structure that's in there, and that gluten... Uh, actually captures those carbon dioxide bubbles and it raises the loaf. Mm. So for this loaf, it was two and a quarter teaspoons is all of yeast. And wow. you mix it in and then you just watch it raise. Mm. So the, the illustration then is that a little bit goes... A little bit infects the whole thing. It doesn't so, just raise on one side, it, the whole loaf. And you get this beautiful... And you get this, what was that? It's beautiful. Beautiful loaf You did bread. a great job. Thank you very much. <laughs> So Paul's point is that when we're just a little bit off when it comes to the gospel, when we're slightly off on the teaching of the scriptures, it permeates the entire church quickly. Can we say thanks to Wendell? Amen. And someone in our studio audience today is going to get to take home this lovely piece of bread. Any, anybody who would like this homemade Oh, right here, I saw, right here, right behind Ron. First hand went up. Come on down. There we go. My wife loves bread. I think she loves bread more than she loves chocolate. She said, if nobody raises their hand, you grab that bread. Uh, enjoy it, it's, it's good. So Paul's upset because he knows what's taking place within the church. And the problem with what was happening is that religion leads us to quit because it promises that we can deliver. Religion teaches us that, you know what, I will be accepted based on my accomplishments. I will be right with God based on my ability to perform. Others will think better about me based on my ability to perform. And the problem with religion is that it, it leads us into two different camps that are both problematic, which is either 
um, self-hatred or self-inflation. See, self-hatred takes place because inevitably you find that you can't meet the standards. And so you work really, really hard and what you discover is that I don't measure up. And so you quit. You say, this isn't working for me. I can't do this and so I'm out. On the other side of that, it can lead to self-inflation where you look around and say, well, I'm doing a good job. I'm not as bad as they are. And pride settles in and suddenly you say, you know what, do I really need God at all because I'm doing a good job on my own. It's like when I go to Costco. I'm, I like Costco, but I uh, often go through this comparison trap when I go there because when we go to Costco and I only have a few items in my cart, I do this, I look around and say, hmm, no self-control for you, huh? And I feel really good. But on those times where our cart is full, other people are behind me in line saying, yeah, do you really need all of that? I got kids at home we're trying to feed. It's that battle of either feeling worse about ourselves than we really are or better about ourselves than we really are. That's religion. But, but irreligion isn't the solution either because Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. See, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Jesus sacrificed so that we could receive this grace. See, grace, there's this temptation to say, you know what, okay, if I'm only right with God based on what Jesus did, then what does it matter what I do? Because I have grace, and grace covers all. And so Paul unpacks what this looks like. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Trevin, uh, our, our worship minister, got away to, to Disney recently, and uh, he was telling me a little bit about his experience. At the end of day one, he said, this is crazy. Who would spend money to be this miserable? You spend hours in line with little kids that were not created to spend hours in line. And they're walking around the park, you know, looking at their steps and they're exhausted. And, you know, it's like, really? This is the happiest place on earth? Here's what changed. They went home that evening. It turns out there's a whole strategy to Disney. There's a whole way in terms of understanding how you get on rides and where you go next. And once they had the strategy, suddenly Disney was being experienced the way that Disney was designed to be experienced. And I share that because I think more times than not, we experience sexuality apart from God's strategy. And so people say, this doesn't work. It doesn't feel right, or I'm chasing after all of these things, and it's fleeting, and we're trying anything and everything, one thing after the next, it's because you don't have the right strategy. And here's why I know. Because God designed sexuality, and it's good. And so when the results of the strategy that's being used is people taking their own life, then it's time for a new strategy. Irreligion promises something that it can't deliver. Paul explains a little bit further. He says this, idolatry and witchcraft. 
the result of the flesh. Let's talk about idolatry because sometimes we think about little statues that we, that we worship, light some candles, and we bow down and we say that's idol worship. Here's something that was convicting to me this week. Do you know the average person looks at their phone 150 times a day? You might be worshiping something or someone other than God if that's the first thing you look at at the start of your day and the last thing you look at at the end of your day. Right there next to you. And I'm talking to myself. I was listening to a pastor this week and it was really convicting. He was talking about the idols of our time and some of the false gods that we worship. And he talked about that we worship the God of approval, that we long for acceptance, and acceptance is a good thing. But the problem with worshiping the God of approval is that you never quite really feel like you've arrived. He talked about the God of control. I worship the God of control. I, I, I believe in this illusion that if I just try harder, then I can hold on to things and things will be as to, to my own liking and my own standard. But the more that I try to hold on, the more that I discover just how much is outside of my control. I struggle with the, the God of comfort. Uh, being com- the comfort is a good thing in and of itself. God wants us to experience comfort in a relationship with him. But the problem with worshiping the God of comfort is that it'll lead you to have surface level relationships. Because to have deep, meaningful relationships, it requires discomfort. It requires honesty and vulnerability. It requires getting in the trenches during the hardest seasons of our life. It requires saying things that just are incredibly uncomfortable, but you love this person. It requires being available at the odd hours of the night. It's incredibly uncomfortable. And so if your God that you worship is, I just want things to be comfortable all the time, you won't ever experience relationships and community the way that God designed them to be experienced. And then finally, it's the God of power. One of my greatest nightmares is humiliation. I don't want to be found out. And so... The problem with this is that when you worship the God of power, what starts to happen is you see other people as a means to an end. That they're there to help you get what you want. And every single one of these gods is an illusion, it's a lie. You might feel good for a moment, but the next, you're chasing after whatever else comes your way. Paul says, idolatry and witchcraft. We get the word witchcraft from a Greek word, uh, which we use in the English pharmacy. And so the point is, is, you know, witchcraft is not just potions and Halloween. It's also mind-controlling substances, Paul continues, he says, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Self-ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So I've sat under um, the care of counselors before to help me go through things and work out things that I'm dealing with. 
and I'll say, hey, here's the heart, and you know what? The prescription is never, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to try some hatred or discord and just go down the list. That's never the solution. And yet we fill that gap in our life with pleasure that's so fleeting, and it's never enough. You see, the problem with irreligion is irreligion leads us to quit because it promises something that it can't deliver. And so irreligion is problematic because it leads us to lose sight of the law, which is good, and holiness. Religion helps us, or religion leads us to lose sight of the love and grace that comes from God. And so both religion and irreligion are problematic. So what's the solution? The gospel reminds us that we can't, but Jesus can. In the church, it's very common, I, I hear this, this expression often is, we want to go deeper. We want the deep. And see, the gravitational pull of Christians is we think about the gospel in this way. The gospel is a tool for the unbeliever. That the gospel is to help people come to know Jesus. And then once you've come to know Jesus, it's about hard work and obedience, and that's what it looks like to follow after him. The gospel is for us each and every single day. Some people have said, how would you describe the way that uh, the pastor teaches? Well, he's, he's an evangelical. He, he likes to, he was all about trying to save people. The reason why we preach the same message every single time that Christ came, he lived a life that we could not live and he died a death that we deserved to die is that that leads to freedom. That when we embrace that, we start experiencing the life that God intended for us. And if you take the gospel and you apply it to any problem in your life, you start to see God at work. And that's why we preach the same message 52 times a year. It's the art of preaching. How do I deliver the same message 52 different ways? Because that's the message that we need. And so when Galatian, the church of Galatia was in this conflict, in this crisis, Paul says, what am I, I don't need to ask what I'm going to do because the solution is the same. I'm going to preach the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. And so Paul in chapter 2 says, now know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we, may not, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, but because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If it's up to us, we can't be made right with God. It's entirely on Jesus. A few verses later, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the good news. Why is this significance? Why is this such a big deal? Because when we're made right with God, the rights of God are right with us. When we're made right with God, the rights of God, those things that truly believe to God, we now belong to God, we now inherit. We are heirs. So Paul says, a couple chapters later, the result of the gospel to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. 
There's a lot here in this verse. But what you need to know is that on the cross, Jesus took on what we deserved. And in exchange, we get what he rightfully deserves and belongs to him and him alone. And this inheritance that we've been given is everything we need in any and every given situation. And so my question is, in those moments when we're tempted to quit and give up, what if we took this next step? Before we give in, start with what we've been given. Maybe this is just true of me, but if I had to guess, it's probably true of you too. When life is difficult, I tend to focus on the have-nots and not the have-gots. It's easy for me to make a list of, here's all the things I want to be different or changed. Think about it. Your marriage is difficult. What are you thinking about? Not all the things that are going well with your spouse. Not all the ways that she's blessed you through the years. Or he's blessed you. It's like, well, this is what they are not. Place of employment. Grass is always green on the other side. These are all the things that my business or company or organization is not getting right. But look at this company over here. They could be doing a, they're doing a better job. So I'll just head over here. I do this in church. You leave one church, you come to another church. And here's what happens. You quickly gravitate towards all of the things that that church does well that your previous church didn't. Oh, it's so nice and refreshing that they do such a good job with this. And then you quickly recognize what that church does not do, and you start to long for what your former church did. And you say, I don't know if this is right for me, so you know what? I'll just give in. Definition of giving in, one of the definitions, is to tender your resignation. Have you had to do that before? To sit down and write up, hey, here's why I'm out. This will be my last day. My hope and my prayer is that before you tender your resignation when it comes to Jesus, before you give in, you would remember all that you've been given in Christ. Instead of the have-nots, you start with the have-gots. That's why Paul said this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. So when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, often, uh, and I remember learning this uh, when I first came to faith, because I'm thinking fruit, it's plural. So I'm thinking, here's a little bit of love, here's some self-control, here's some forbearance, some kindness, and it's all scattered. Like it's just one tree, and I can just go and pick what I want from it one at a time. But in this usage, it's not plural, it's singular, and what Paul is describing is that this fruit comes from a living organism, and it's collectively together, that all of this is present in Christ, and that in any given moment, the spirit within you is wanting you to lean into Jesus to experience all that God has for you. His love, his joy, his forbearance, his peace, his kindness, his self-control, it's right there. 
Practically, here's what this looks like. Three things. First of all, prayer. You say, that's great, but how, how do I experience this? One of the things we do here as a church is we do all church prayer. It's on the third Wednesday of every month, and we started this new format this last time, and what we do is we start with Scripture. We read the Scripture, and it frames our prayer and how to pray because most of us jump into prayer, and we start with the transaction. But I've discovered that prayer is... Yes, we need to ask because God says to ask, there's a transaction, but really when we think about prayer, it's transformation. I I can be in a public setting and spot my wife's laugh. I can have a situation where I'm not, you know, trying to make a decision and I just know where my wife's going to gravitate towards, how she's going to respond. Because of years of being with her, we start to just think similarly. Some couples even begin to look like one another and dress like, like, ooh, okay. See, as we enter into prayer, what's happening is we're getting to know Jesus and it's intimacy. We're becoming more like him. We're having a conversation with our creator. Sometimes we talk about Jesus like we read all of his books on Goodread. We, uh, followed him on TikTok, we've seen all of his videos, and we've looked at the Instagram posts, and we've kind of envisioned us in those stories. Like, I know Jesus, and I, and I tried that Jesus thing for a bit, but you know, it didn't really work for me. You, you might have known a lot about Jesus, but you, you didn't know him intimately. And we experience that through, through prayer. And as we lean in, the, the fruit of the Spirit begins to be a part of, of who we are. people. There are probably people in your life that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, and they've impacted you. They've, they've influenced you. And so if you find yourself in the season, some people call this, I'm just like, I'm, I feel like I'm in the desert right now, and I feel uh, distant from God, and I'm not really sure if I'm even right with God, if I was ever saved in the first place. What I would invite you to do is to, to get into community with some people that you love and trust that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit and watch how it begins to impact you. Here's an easy example of this in my own life. So uh, we've just newly formed this directional leadership team for our church. And one of the things that's true about my leadership is I can make decisions quickly and I can look at the situation and say, here's what we need to do and here are the steps that we need to get there. But a team around me helps me in this way That's great, Rob, but how are we going to care for people along the way? Let's make sure that when we get to that destination, that people are on board and are excited about what God is doing, that people understand the why behind the what we're doing. And I experienced this a couple weeks ago. We're making a decision. How do we deal with this ministry? And I'm like, "Here's, here's, here's what we need to do. And the team says, okay, but what if we tried it this way? And the outcome was entirely better than what I would have thought of myself. The fruit of forbearance and, and kindness and love was so present in that moment. It's people. It's like God begins to shape us. And then lastly, pace. This is hard for me. Sometimes we need to adjust our expectations because we live in a culture that says, 
hey, I want patience. I would like some self-control, but you know, I want it done like Amazon does it. In like two days, I just want it right there at my doorstep, instantly. And the thing about fruit is that there's this ripening process that takes place. And sometimes in those seasons where we're being led to persevere, God is doing some ripening within us. And so before you're quick to say, God, you didn't show up, you're not changing the situation, I don't know where you're at, you know, I've tried this, I'm out. Maybe, just maybe, your next step is to adjust expectation. Because the season that you're in is this ripening part of your life. And what God is doing in you is to produce something that's way better than you could ever dream, hope, or imagine. Because if the end of whatever it is that you're going through leads you to this intimate relationship with Jesus, I promise you, it's worth it. If the end result of whatever is most difficult for you right now is that you feel that much closer to the God of the universe, it is worth it. So before you write that letter of resignation and say, God, I'm, I'm out, before you give in, would you stop and consider all that you've been given in Christ. Paul said it this way, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.